Hello, I'm R.A. Spratt. I write and perform this podcast. If you'd like to support the show, I'm a children's author, so you can buy a book by me, or you can buy me a coffee by going to buymeacoffee.com slash stories R.A. Spratt. It's an easy way to make a small thank you gift to the show so I can keep kicking this can down the road. The podcast directory you're using right now should have a link to my Buy Me A Coffee page in the show notes, or you can type it into your browser. That's buymeacoffee.com slash stories R.A. Spratt. All contributions are gratefully appreciated. Hello and welcome to Bedtime Stories with me, R.A. Spratt. Today's story is The Little Match Girl, as told by Nanny Piggins. Here we go. Nanny Piggins and the children were exhausted. The truancy officer had obtained a bicycle and they'd had to run twice as fast to get away from her. Luckily, after only several kilometres of sprinting, they'd run past a traffic accident where a truck carrying nails had tipped over and spilled its load all over the street. The truancy officer's bicycle tyres hadn't stood a chance. By the time she'd lost control, smashed into the traffic barrier and toppled head over heels into the adjacent ravine, she'd sustained 52 punctures to her inner tubes. The truancy officer was all right, Luckily, the ravine dropped into the sewage works, so she'd had a nice soft, if smelly, landing. The only injury she'd sustained had been when the bicycle fell in on top of her and she got a bruise on the top of her head. But Nanny Piggins and the children were knackered. They'd gone straight to the park, where the ice cream van always parked on Mondays, and needed to eat three triple scoop cones each to recover. Now they were lying on the grass and getting over the double ordeal of physical exhaustion and digestive exhaustion. It'd be some time before they'd be in a fit state to do anything. Ugh, what are we going to do, children? asked Nanny Piggins. I've got a good mind to go down to the truancy officer's workplace and put in a formal complaint to her superior. Do you think she has a superior, or is she some sort of roving vigilante? I think she works for the council, said Samantha. Well, then, I've got a good mind to complain to the council, said Nanny Piggins. How dare she chase us all across town when I told her you had yellow fever? We don't have yellow fever, Derek pointed out. Well, that's just a technicality, said Nanny Piggins. She doesn't know that. And if you did have yellow fever, now you've done so much running, you're going to be in so much worse shape. There's no way you'll be able to go to school tomorrow if you have a relapse. Can you have a relapse of something you've never had, asked Michael. I don't know, said Nanny Piggins. I'm not an epidemiologist. But I do know for a fact that they don't go around intensive care units in hospitals making the patients go for a jog. I think perhaps, suggested Samantha, that she suspected that we might not have yellow fever or the bubonic plague or rickets or any of the things you've told her we've come down with since term began. Just because something is not true doesn't mean it couldn't be true, said Nanny Piggins. She shouldn't punish us just because she has a nasty, suspicious mind. It was starting to hurt Derek's brain trying to follow along with Nanny Piggins' reasoning, so he thought he'd better change the subject. It's actually quite nice lying here on the grass, said Derek. Why don't you tell us a story while we recover ourselves? Oh, yes, please, said Michael. A good one, please. I only tell good stories, said Nanny Piggins. I know, said Michael. So anyone would do. All right, let me see, said Nanny Piggins, as she rubbed her snout thoughtfully. 
I could tell you a story from one of my distant relatives. This made the children perk up. Nanny Piggins' distant relatives were always impossibly glamorous, incredibly brave, and often unnecessarily violent, so they were confident that this story would be good. She came from the Danish branch of the family, continued Nanny Piggins. Her name was Hannah Christian Anderson Piggins. Was she related to Hans Christian Andersen, the famous writer, asked Samantha? No, said Nanny Piggins. She was Hans Christian Andersen. What, said Derek? No way, said Michael. It's true, said Nanny Piggins. She published under a man's name because 200 years ago, the Danish literary elite did not take women seriously, especially not when they were pigs. Oh dear, said Derek, not being able to think of anything better to say. "'There's so much prejudice in the world, children,' said Nanny Piggins, dabbing a tear from her eye. "'I dream of a day when we can live in a society free of piggism, "'where all pigs can be recognised for what they are, better than humans.' "'Don't you mean equal?' asked Michael. "'Equal to what?' asked Nanny Piggins. "'You want pigs to be treated as equal to humans,' said Michael. "'Oh, no, I think we deserve to be treated better than that,' said Nanny Piggins. "'How many wars have humans started?' Ah, uh, a lot, said Michael. Exactly, said Nanny Piggins. How many wars have pigs started? None, suggested Derek. Just right, said Nanny Piggins, because we've got the good sense to lie around in mud, eating all day. We're much more sensible creatures and deserve to be treated as such. So you were going to tell us a story, prompted Derek, before his nanny could start going on about pigs' voting rights, an issue she felt very strongly about. Not only did she think all pigs over the age of three should have full voting rights, she thought that any human who ate a bacon sandwich should lose the right to vote. And she was not afraid of stopping their local member of parliament in the street and telling him all about this. Oh, yes, said Nanny Piggins. My story takes place many years ago in the olden story times in Denmark. Have you ever been to Denmark, children? No, said the children. Remind me to take you there one day, said Nanny Piggins. The Danish, despite their piggism, do know a lot about very important things. Like what, asked Samantha? She imagined that they'd uncovered a secret for sustainable power or curing goosebumps. The Danish invented a pastry dessert so good, said Nanny Piggins. They called it the Danish. It's the national emblem of their country. Is that true, asked Michael. It must be, said Nanny Piggins. What greater honour could you bestow on a dessert than naming your whole country after it? And Danishes have fruit in them. The children gasped. (gasps) They knew that their nanny rarely approved of fruit. So to have fruit and still manage to taste delicious is an amazing accomplishment for which the entire nation should be proud, said Nanny Piggins. But I digress. If you ever go to Denmark, the first thing you'll notice after you spend three or four days appreciating how wonderful the local baked goods are, you will notice that it is cold. The children nodded. Now, I know you think you know what cold is, said Nanny Piggins, because we have winter here and it gets very nippy. And if you get wet when it's cold, we all get very unhappy. But the Danish, indeed all the Scandinavians, take coldness to the next level. It is seriously, mind-numbingly, finger-freezingly cold in their country. Have you ever heard of Santa Claus? Is he Danish? asked Michael. No, of course not, said Nanny Biggins. Although, now I think about it, perhaps he is. That would explain his weight issues if he'd been eating all those Danishes. 
But no, Santa lives at the North Pole, and we all know how cold that is with the reindeer and the ridiculous fur-lined clothes he wears. Well, the North Pole is practically next door to Denmark, so they have it just as bad there. So you're saying that Denmark is cold? Summarized Samantha. Yes, said Nanny Piggins. So the story I'm going to tell you is a famous story written by my dear great 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 cousin, Hannah Christian Anderson Piggins, and it is the story of the normal sized match girl. Don't you mean the little match girl? Asked Derek. No, I don't," said Nanny Piggins. "I don't understand why in books about girls they have to specify that they are little, the little match girl, the little mermaid, the little princess, little women, the little Miss books. There are millions of them. Why little? Why is little so important? I'll tell you why. It's because people want girls to take up as little space as possible. They want their girls to be small and quiet and polite and little. It's outrageous." Napoleon didn't like it when people pointed out that he was little, but he was," said Michael. "But it was rude to say so," said Nanny Piggins. "Everyone knew it, so no one said it to him. So why do we only admire girls for being little? It's not like they have much control over their height, unless they're unfortunate enough to have a piano fall on their head. And really, you shouldn't be encouraging girls to do that sort of thing." So your story's about the normal-sized match girl, asked Derek. Oh yes, I was telling that story, wasn't I? The normal-sized match girl, said Nanny Piggins. As is so often the way in these stories, she had an absolutely beastly father, like our father, asked Michael. Even worse, said Nanny Piggins. The normal-sized match girl's father never had any money, probably because he lived in Denmark and he couldn't resist spending all he had on Danishes. Actually, I can't say I blame him for that. He was only human after all. So since he didn't have any money, he couldn't afford to buy his normal-sized daughter a coat or shoes. So she was not dressed for the weather. And then, to make matters worse, because this was the olden story days before child labour laws were introduced, he forced her to go out and work at a law firm. Asked Michael. That was what their own father did for a living, and Mike was only seven, so he didn't know about the great range of possible professions. No, he was a bad man, but he wasn't that bad," said Nanny Piggins. He forced her to go out into the street and sell matches. Every morning, he'd give her a big handful of matches, and she wasn't allowed to come back that night until she'd sold them all. Gosh," said Samantha. "I know," said Nanny Piggins. "People say I'm an irresponsible childcare worker, but I could have gotten away with way more back in the olden story days." "You'd never make us sell matches, would you?" asked Michael worriedly. "Of course not," said Nanny Piggins. "If we ever became so poor that one of us had to go door to door selling tiny flammable sticks, I'd make your father do it. It'd do him good to get more exercise." And he'd meet the neighbours, which they would love. After all the stories I've told them about him over the years. So anyway, this normal-sized match girl set out into the streets of the city. It was very cold, as you can imagine, without shoes or a coat. So she held her shawl tight about her, but the wind blew and seemed to go straight through the threadbare material. She kept walking to try and warm herself up that way, but it was no use. The icy wind got right into her bones. <gasps> This story is so dreadful, Well, Boris. Why didn't she just grow fur? Humans can't grow fur," said Nanny Piggins, "except on their heads, and their faces if they're men or bearded ladies from the circus. But this was a young, normal-sized girl. She wasn't old enough to become a bearded lady and grow a beard. She trudged through the streets, going door to door, trying to sell her matches, but no one would buy them. 
Why not? asked Michael. Because it was Denmark, said Nanny Piggins. And it was freezing cold, and they weren't all ninny hammers, so they all had plenty of matches already. When they opened the door to find a normal-sized girl with a handful of something they already had, they couldn't shut the door quickly enough. After all, it was cold outside, and there was a terrible draught. So eventually it grew dark, and the normal-sized match girl had still not sold any, and she was frightened to go home for fear of what her father would do. What would he do? asked Michael. He'd force her to clean out the U-bend under the sink, said Nanny Piggins. Oh, gross, said the children, and not the kitchen sink, which just gets filled with rotting food, but the U-bend under the bathroom sink, the one that gets clogged with all the hair and gross things people spit out, said Nanny Piggins. Oh, that's disgusting, exclaimed the children. Exactly, said Nanny Piggins. There was no way she could return home. The girl was so, so cold, she became delirious with exhaustion. She found a corner between two houses where she could shelter from the wind, and she lit one of her matchsticks. The match flashed a light, and the tiny orange flame let out a small, warm glow. It didn't just feel beautiful to her exhausted body, it looked beautiful as well. The golden light danced in the air against the snow-decked streets. The flame almost looked alive. She stared right into the heart of it, and she started to see a wonderful vision. A warm fireplace, a delicious roast banquet with potatoes and gravy and stuffing balls, steaming hot mugs of hot chocolate... Hey parents. Yeah, you. Are you looking for a podcast your kids will really love? Well, we made one just for you. And for us. As genuine, all-natural kids ourselves, we know what makes a fun and interesting podcast. So we decided to make it ourselves. Every show is packed with interviews, stories, and on-the-ground reporting. We have interviewed everyone from scientists to Grammy Award-winning musicians to NFL quarterbacks. Listen to Wild Interest wherever you get your podcasts. Then suddenly, splash! A great bucket of water flew through the air and hit her lit match, putting it out instantly. Ah! screamed the normal-sized match girl. What on earth do you think you're doing? demanded my cousin, Hannah Christian Anderson Piggins. I was just trying to stay warm, said the girl, now shivering even harder because her hands were wet. But you're a child, declared Hannah, and children should never play with matches. It's dangerous. That's how fires start. I was just dreaming of a fire, said the girl, and how nice it would be to feel warm again. Well, it wouldn't feel nice when you got third-degree burns, said Hannah. I'm so cold. I just wanted a moment of warmth, said the girl. A naked flame in the street is ridiculous, scolded Hannah Piggins. This is the olden story days. The street lamps are lit by gas. You could start an explosion. Oh, woe is me. What am I to do, said the girl. I'm so cold. Put some shoes on, urged Hannah. This isn't the beach. I don't have any, said the girl. No shoes, exclaimed Hannah Piggins. That's outrageous. I'd offer to give you some of mine, but I'm a pig, so I don't have great huge clumping feet like a human. I have tiny elegant trotters like a lady, but I'm sure we'll find you something that'll do. So Hannah Piggins took the normal-sized match girl into her home, sat her down at the kitchen table, and then disappeared into the pantry. The pantry, said Samantha. I thought she was going to find us some shoes. She was a piggins, said Nanny Piggins. All her creativity flowed from the kitchen. She emerged with great long reels of licorice. 
I got this because I was going to make licorice bullets that I could fire at a wicked old lady next door using my pea shooter, said Nanny Piggins. But I suppose I could make do with peas instead. Here, let's make you some shoes. She set to work wrapping the licorice around and around the girl's feet until they were completely encased in the black licorice. Now we'll just stick your feet in a moderate oven for five minutes, said Haddon Piggins. She stuck the girl's feet in an oven, exclaimed Michael. The normal-sized match girl didn't mind, Nanny Piggins assured him. She was very cold, remember? Five minutes later, the oven timer pinged. She pulled her feet out and the licorice had moulded to them perfectly. They were divinely comfortable, waterproof, thick and sturdy shoes. Best of all, if she ever got a bit hungry, she could always lick them. The normal-sized match girl was delighted. Oh, thank you so much, she said. I suppose I'd better go home now. But where's your coat? asked Hannah Piggins. I don't have one, admitted the normal-sized girl. Don't have one in Denmark in winter? Preposterous, declared Hannah Piggins. Wait here. She disappeared into the pantry again and reappeared a few moments later with a massive sack full of marshmallows. Marshmallows, marvelled Michael. He loved a marshmallow himself, particularly when it was bobbing up and down in hot chocolate. What was she going to do with those? You'll see, said Nanny Piggins. My great cousin knew a thing or two about thermal dynamics. Do you know what a puffer coat is? Yes, said Samantha. They're those big puffy coats filled with feathery downs or polyester stuffing to keep you warm. That's what they're made out of now, said Nanny Piggins. But it was actually my cousin Hannah who invented the puffer coat. She wasn't just a literary genius. She had a good deal of practical common sense as well. So rare for a writer. That night she made the world's first puffer coat. But she didn't fill it with feathers or polyester stuffing. She filled it with another light and airy stuffing material. Marshmallows. The kind you eat, asked Michael. Yes, she got an old pillowcase, filled it with the marshmallows so that it was like a doona, then used that to fashion a coat, explained Nanny Piggins. It looked lovely and it smelled even better. The normal-sized match girl was soon as warm as toast. Thank you, thank you so much, said the girl, but I really should go now. But you haven't got a hat, said Hannah Piggins. No, said the girl, it blew away in the wind. Blew away, exclaimed Hannah Piggins. It can't have been much of a hat. Wait here. She disappeared into her pantry again. She came out a moment later with a sheet of puff pastry. Stand still, ordered Hannah Piggins. She shaped the puff pastry around the girl's head, bathed it in an egg wash and popped it in the oven. While the girl's head was still in it, asked Michael. Don't be ridiculous, said Nanny Piggins. It's one thing to put your feet in the oven, but you can't put your head in the oven. How would you be able to eat biscuits and drink hot chocolate while it was cooking? Michael felt like a fool for asking. Twenty minutes later, continued Nanny Piggins, the oven pinged, and the normal-sized match girl had a beautiful, toasty, warm, golden-brown pastry hat to wear. The girl was delighted. How can I ever thank you? Well, you can, actually, admitted Hannah. I don't suppose you've got any ideas for a fairy tale. I've got to write 3,000 words for my editor by first thing tomorrow morning. Well, why don't you write a story about a poor, normal-sized match girl freezing in the snow with nothing to keep her warm except matches, suggested the normal-sized match girl. That might work, said Hannah Piggins. But what if instead of normal-sized match girl, I made her the little match girl? Readers are unnaturally obsessed with diminutive children, and frankly, I must pander to the masses. If my stories don't sell, I won't be able to afford to keep my cupboards full of confectionery that I can brilliantly transform into winter wear for passing strangers. That's fine with me, said the girl. She went home very happy indeed. 
but wasn't her father beastly when she got home and she hadn't sold any matches? She didn't care what he had to say about anything, said Nanny Piggins. She was wearing the first ever puffer coat in the history of the world. She copied the design, set up a factory and started selling them all around the world. She hired all the match girls in Denmark to come and make them so they wouldn't have to wander the streets with dangerously flammable sticks anymore. The only thing was, she did have to change one thing about the design. She swapped the marshmallows for feathers because the match girls kept eating the marshmallows and the coats weren't as warm as they should be. Once she sorted that out, her coats became a huge international fashion hit. And Hannah became a household name. Sadly, not using her real name... But anyway, they all lived happily ever after, except for the beastly father who got corns on all his toes and was forever stubbing them. The end. Time for bed. Thank you for listening to support this podcast. Just buy a book by me, R.A. Spratt. There's lots to choose from from across the Nanny Piggins, Friday Barnes and Pesky Kids series. You can order them through your local bookstore or go to my website, raspratt.com, and click on the book depository banner. They've got all my titles and free international shipping. So check them out. Until next time, goodbye. <laughs>